Almost. 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 Major. 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 Holy fucking shit, this is major! Hello and welcome to this episode of Almost Major where we talk about the many major studios and the films they released and today we are talking about Gods and Monsters from 1998. My name is Kevin Tudor. I'm here with Charlie Nash. Hello. And Bryden Doyle. Hello. And we have a super special guest today from the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast. It's Chris File. How are you? Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. I told you off mic but I'm a huge fan one of the reasons i wanted to start this podcast is because i fell in love with your podcast and other podcasts so oh thank you much appreciated we are um mostly just screwing around on our show and uh just hanging out and talking about uh failed awards movies yeah what, what's been some uh, recent episodes you all have done uh as of today we just dropped our lost city of z episode nice. as of recording nice. We did Spielberg's Always recently. Um, the Meddler, Lorene Scafari. Oh, yeah. That That's a good one. Love the Meddler. That's you, a good one. <clears throat> excuse me. You also covered a movie I didn't even know existed called Mary Riley. And I saw, because I follow you on Twitter. <laughs> and I was like, wait, there was a Julia Roberts, John Malkovich, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde movie that I was completely unaware of. We were like, all there for that. Tommy Wiseau movie. <laughs> oh um, that, <laughs> Mary Riley was kind of a running gag on our show for a while. We have a lot of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in doing research for kind of a mini series we did, there was inclusion of that, that there was initially, or in some of the research that it, there was initially, you know, kind of that expectation, mostly on a pre-production side. And so we were like, you know what, screw it. We're going to do this movie for Halloween. And I hadn't seen it in a very long time. It has Glenn Close as basically the most oi govna, um, <laughs> you know brothel matron you have ever seen and she is sensational and then the rest of the movie is not very good um but yeah it's a good time yeah um i'm curious y'all haven't done much horror movies because horror movies usually don't get oscar buzz but like mm-hmm. what would be like ones that actually did legitimately get oscar buzz that you would like to cover because the first thing i think I mean, of recently is like hereditary but mostly people were just like yeah maybe but probably not gonna happen you know i mean definitely we could that's probably something we're kind of saving on the burner a lot of horror movies we've you know saved for either special occasions or we just don't want to burn off um hereditary is a great example we've done episodes on like us and oh hannibal. yes yes oh hannibal. Um, <laughs> no, was, i, I loved your hannibal episode yeah <laughs> Yeah, but uh, today we are talking about Gods and Monsters, as I talked about previously. It uh, opened on November 6th, 1998 in six theaters, and it maxed out at 149 theaters. A budget of $10 million opening weekend. It did 75000 domestic and overall gross of $6.5 million. Top five films this weekend. This is actually the same top five we did for Belly. Uh, it's The Waterboy, The Siege, Pleasantville, Ants, and the re-release of Wizard of Oz. And uh, I believe when we talked about that, Charlie talked about his aunt's, uh, uh, his aunt's story. I went home and I cried because I didn't <laughs> like a movie that I saw in theaters. It was the first time <laughs> that ever happened. <laughs> um, number one song in the U.S. this week is The First Night by Monica. Number one song in Canada this week is On a Day Like Today by Brian Adams. 
Uh, Gods and Monsters follows a once powerful Hollywood director best known for Frankenstein, James Whale, played by Ian McKellen, is long since retired and is in increasingly poor health. His housekeeper, Hannah, played by Lynn Redgrave, quietly dismisses of Whale's faceless, nameless parade of gay young lovers. This is from Google, I'm sorry. Uh, but when the director takes an interest in a new gardener, Clay Boone, played by uh, uh, the fucking... Uh, I'm sorry, I have podcast brain. Brendan Fraser, um, <laughs> a former Marine and Korea War veteran, it seems to be for something more than just his usual casual conquest. Okay. Um, that's one casual of the. Conquest? A, 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 his usual casual conquest, yes. Uh-huh. That's one way to phrase it. Jesus. <laughs> Um, nominated for three Oscars Best Actor and Best Supporting Actress and one Best Adapted Screenplay also nominated for Best Actor that year was Nick Nolte in Affliction which we'll be covering in this miniseries this is of course the I can't wait to watch that Uh, this is Judi Dench's win for Shakespeare in Love for Best Actress and Supporting Role which uh, Redgrave also got nominated in and uh, it did win the Adapted Screenplay like I said also nominated uh, Simple Plan Out of Sight Primary Colors and The Thin Red Lion that is a banger of a year <laughs> I mean mm-hmm. of the stuff I've seen I'd probably pick like Out of Sight or a Simple yeah. Plan I mean those are just right. incredible like, Thin mm-hmm. Red Lion might be my ultimate favorite of 1998 but in terms of screenplay Out of Sight I mean God damn. Like, so that's also like a five star movie and probably mm-hmm. my number one Soderbergh. So it's up there for me. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. Every day that goes by, Schizopolis is becoming my number one, but never mind. Um, I still have to see. That is a fucking wild time. <laughs> I think I mentioned this, but I got so stoned with um, someone that I was hooking up with at the time <laughs> and we kind of made out through Schizopolis. So I, my memory of that one is, uh, vague to put it mildly. <laughs> so every 10 minutes getting up, what's going on in this? Even if you were watching it, you wouldn't know what was going we just, on. Occasionally we just look at the screen and there's a sign on a tree that says idea missing. And we're just like, huh? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah. What were we doing? Yeah. Oh, I remember, uh, I remember that scene being cited in, um, a negative review that Ignati Vishnevetsky did of uh, Steve McQueen's shame where he said like you know watching like the scene where Michael Fassbender is jogging through New York I thought of the scene in Schizopolis where it says idea missing on a tree or whatever I just thought wow go fuck yourself god damn I was surprised they didn't go for the last shot where it has uh, he's he's on the He's on the Amtrak, and it says uh, work in progress behind him. And I was just like, I kind of like that. But if somebody says that's stupid, then I guess it's stupid. I don't know. Um, Chris, where do you stand on shame? Yes, please. I like it. I do, too. (laughs) I I really, really love Steve McQueen. Um, So, like, I don't know. I uh, I, I understand a lot of the complaints about shame, but um, I'm with it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's top four for me i mean i i the the gay scene i can understand and it's unneeded and stupid but but all the rest i mean that's the when fassbender puts in a bad performance I, it just hurts me even more because i'm just like god damn it dude you can make shame come on now he's, <laughs> he's so fucking good in shame we're in a group chat chris where like basically some people are like shame one of the best films of the decade or one of the worst films of the decade it's like the mm-hmm. most polarizing like thing in that particular chat i'd say (laughs) i mean i think mcqueen's made better movies but i also think like uh, and maybe this is less so now but at least in that phase of his career he's definitely you know interested in taking these physical experiences and you know getting to the psychology of the physicality of it if that makes 
no sense whatsoever. No, I totally get it. You know, like anything that comes out of my mouth. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I I think, um, you know, you kind of have to come at that movie about, you know, this is someone putting you in a physical and psychological space and, you know, kind of examining it from there. And I think people try to come at it from a different point of view. I have less of an issue with the scene where he, like, makes out or gets a blowjob from a guy because I'm not one of those people that thinks that that is, like, you know, the base lowest that that character is taken to because at that point you still have, like, 45 minutes yeah, yeah. of mm-hmm. that movie still to go of that character, you know, really psychologically torturing himself. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I, I take less on bridge with that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an also this had Oscar buzz, but it was never going to happen because it's an NC-17 movie. <laughs> Very close though. Yeah, Very close. it did yeah. get the Golden Globe. It didn't George Clooney, like he thanked him because he was just like, well, he went full frontal and I wasn't going to do that or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> he does mention him in his speech, yeah. You know, wonderful young actors I met, uh, I'd like to thank Michael Fassbender for taking over the frontal nudity responsibility that I had. Really, Michael, honestly, if you can play golf like this with your hands behind your back, <laughs> go for it, man. Do it. Uh, Gods and Monsters, directed and adapted for the screen by Bill Condon prior to this, Sister Sister in 1987, uh, Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh in 1995, another uh, after this, Kinsey in 2004, uh, Dreams Girls 2006, <laughs> I did not see it, and Bryden was a big fan of The Good Liar in 2019. Well, also, let's not forget he did the last two Twilight movies, the, the two-parter. Oh yeah, let's not forget. Yeah. Um, I, I have some friends who got really uh, drunk before their screening of Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2. And I have not seen, I've only seen the first Twilight, but I know all about the massacre that happens at the end of that movie that apparently doesn't happen in the book. And apparently they just, like, erupted. <laughs> and everyone else who was, like, you know, got, like, GoFobo passes or whatever was like, this did not happen! And then apparently the next day, one of my friends was so hungover that they texted another friend who went to that screening and went, shit, was that in 3D? was it in 3d no (laughs) i think the twilights avoided 3d yeah i'm surprised i wanted to see my man be like a spider monkey in 3d in the first one what was happening uh yeah the good liar brian you've seen the good liar it was the first thing i watched is condon research uh oh okay research yeah watching movies that are on my streaming services but um Uh yeah um i'd seen that the twilights and sister sister and then i watched this and uh i don't know i mean this seems we'll get into it i guess it seems like he alternates i guess between like middle brow like sort of prestige movies and like occasionally like trashy thrillers like the good liar and sister sister but like you know it's kind of interesting to see him i guess go between those two modes i think he's honestly better at this middle brow thing like i i, I like gods and monsters of the three movies that i watched is of the three movies I watched of his, like, in the last two weeks, uh, there were Sister, Sister, Good Liar, and this. This is probably the best one that I've seen from him. This is the only Bill Condon film I've seen. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. I, I don't know why it's surprising. It just came back to me that I was on a flight uh, to Europe several years ago. Ten years ago. Jesus. And some middle-aged man sitting next to me watched Breaking Dawn Part 1 and then fell asleep so the movie kept playing on loop for 12 hours <laughs> so I felt like I was I had, I've seen that one just through osmosis sure. but like I just remember when he was awake I just kept looking back over and I was just like Jesus they're still getting married what is this a deer hunter like, <laughs> like yeah. 
<laughs> I remember Ebert reviewing it, like talking about how, like I think he talked about how long the wedding was, but he also said like they, like their sex is so intense on the wedding night they break the bed. Good gravy or whatever. <laughs> yeah, they do. I do remember looking over and seeing that. I remember the birth scene. Um, I feel like such a bad gay for not having seen Dreamgirls. <laughs> is Dreamgirls a movie I really, really love and adore? Um, yeah. <laughs> I've kind of always been a bit of a Bill Condon defender um, until I saw Beauty and the Beast and I was like, okay. Uh, Um, Yeah, he did that as well. I mean, uh, of all of his movies that I've seen, which I think I've seen everything but Breaking Dawn 2 and the one before the Candyman sequel, um, I mean... He he's kind of morphed into being somewhat of this studio guy who can also get his, you know, somewhat of kind of what seems like a one for you, one for me, like doing uh, some of these studio movies mm-hmm. enables him to do The Good Liar or Mr. Holmes. Um, and like, I definitely think his more interesting movies like this are past him. I also kind of stand up for Kinsey, which, you know, on its surface is kind of this really straightforward biopic, but I think very much in the mold of something you would have seen, like, towards the mid-century when the movie actually takes place. But, you know, obviously it has all of this extreme sexual frankness in it that never could have been achieved at that time, even though Kinsey was working at that time. Um... And then I love Dreamgirls. Dreamgirls, I think, is, like, kind of the underrated movie musical of, like, the past 25 years. He was really passionate about doing it. He got that gig after he did the script for Chicago, and they were like, okay, what movie musical should be made next? And he made the hardcore pitch for Dreamgirls, which I think just in terms of sheer, like, narrative storytelling understanding the medium of how a musical works like almost nobody doing making musicals today does understand uh that the way to the extent that i think bill condon does and for a while i was like he should make another musical and then he goes and makes beauty and the beast Uh, which is uh, abominable um but yeah, I uh, I'll I definitely stick up for a, a a number of his movies. Dreamgirls is fascinating to me as someone who's never seen it, but remember I remember vividly because that was around the time I started. I mean, yeah, I was a teenager when it came out, so I was paying attention to the Oscars, and I remember thinking, "Oh, that's like gonna win Best Picture," just from seeing the poster. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. that's gonna. And then of course it's not. Nominated. It's not even nominated, and then it turned into the Departed versus Babel, which is so, especially as a time capsule, so fascinatingly weird <laughs> um yeah and i remember jennifer hudson obviously won i remember eddie murphy seemed like a lock and then people blamed him losing norbit. to alan arkin for norbit <laughs> on norbit yeah right which yeah. i watched norbit on a day i got dumped that was one of the darkest <laughs> days of my adolescence <laughs> oh, no um, just one uh, of those just one of those how did this end up happening <laughs> kind of kind of nights <laughs> utterly baffled by everything going on in my life at that moment in time. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> I do remember, I think this was like earlier this year in our group chat, we were talking with our friend uh, Mitchell Beaupre about, um, there was like some article or some tweet about like applause inducing moments in movies or whatever and it was like, Dreamgirls was on the list and I was like, really? Like people were applauding in the theater when Dreamgirls came out? And Mitchell was like, yeah. they did and, it, and they were like, yes, that, that did happen. I was like, 
okay, stay corrected. I wasn't there. So like that that was interesting. The only the only time I can remember that happening is you know, in Oklahoma when holes came out and the credits rolled, people were going nuts. <laughs> That's it. That's the only time I can remember anybody clapping after a movie. My... And holes holes has that like predator credits where it has the has the scene and the actor's name and all that so it goes on for like two minutes and these motherfuckers were acting like it was con like this is ridiculous i saw first man at like 3 p.m in a theater with like maybe 12 people and this old woman just kept walking in and out of the theater like you know when you go to a regal and there's that aisle that leads to the exit uh-huh. or whatever she just kept walking in and out and i was like what is this person doing and then it got to the point where they said we've successfully landed on the moon and she came out of the aisle and just started going <laughs> <laughs> like nobody and we were all just like like all 12 of us just started cackling because we were like really <laughs> like no she just got she shows up to every screen just to make everybody know that that was a good moment in history. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Gods and Monsters was based on the book on uh, Father of Frankenstein by Christopher Bram, which that is also a partial fiction, partial nonfiction uh, writing. And uh, this stars Ian McKellen as James Whale. Prior to this, The Keep in 1983, uh, Scandal in 1989. Has anybody seen this? No. I think I think that was I think that was like an early Miramax like advertising is like the most controversial film of the year type thing. Oh, (laughs) I I think that might have been uh, a movie that I watched on like an old Cisco and Ebert episode where like they were talking about like underseen movies. So I check it on home video. I think that might have been one where I first heard about it. But um, yeah, I have not seen it. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out. I think it was almost initially. But after okay, yeah, it was also given an X rating, but then it was appealed twice to an R. So yeah, and I'm pretty sure on the poster it was like, the story that seduced the world is now the most controversial film of the year. Oh yeah, it is. Sounds like a I'll watch it. I know. God fucking damn it. Okay. Um, <laughs> where was I? God damn it. After this, the X Men movies, Lord of the Rings movies, nominated for best supporting actor for Fellowship of the Ring, and Man Oh Man, if him and Condon didn't link up again for Mister Holmes in 2015. Um, hmm. Uh, Brandon Fraser as Clay Boone prior to the school ties in 1992 uh, George of the Jungle the same year after this the Mummy movies and of course Monkey Bone in 2001 because that movie kicks ass um, it does check I, it out it's I not that good it, but it's fun I watched, I watched it when it was on HBO a lot as a kid uh, I most vividly remember Chris Klein throwing uh, his organs at uh, Brandon Chris Fraser Katan. <laughs> or Chris Katan excuse me Jesus yeah. Christ uh yeah aren't they like are they hanging from like a hot air balloon or something and like he's just throwing like a spleen and like some intestines and then they all like land on like a family's barbecue grill or something yes yeah 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 it's called comedy why don't you laugh yeah (laughs) i think i can hang with this i've never seen monkey bone but uh this is definitely selling me it's a demented movie (laughs) it's just like like, before i make Coraline, henry selick was like i gotta make monkey bone it's gotta happen (laughs) um that movie was a huge bomb right i remember oh yeah despise that thing Yeah. yeah 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 Uh, Lynn Redgrave as Hannah, prior to this, nominated for Best Actress in, for Georgie Girl in 1966, uh, Shine in 1996, after this, The Annihilation of Fish in 1999, Spider in 2002, and also was in Kinsey in 2004. Uh, trivia, I unfortunately did not get around to the commentary track for this. I'm very sorry. I spent $10 for no reason. As of, <laughs> two, one, as a, as of 2020, only 
This is one of only three movies since the advent of the best screenplay adapted from another medium Oscar to win the award without receiving a Best Picture nomination, the others being The Bad and the Beautiful in 1952 and Sling Blade in 1996. Huh. Oh, Sling Blade. I could have sworn that got a Best Picture now. I, w- I would have assumed too as well, yeah. Um, That's a movie, I, I was, when I took a journalism class, that was my assigned movie to write a review for, because I had seen every other movie that was getting uh, assigned. <laughs> um, how does that one hold up? Because I can see that one not, no idea. not, uh, not, not holding I saw up it well. In like, <laughs> I saw it in like 04 and I was like 12 and I was like, this is an adult movie, this kicks ass, but I, 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 I have no idea what it is now. Maybe we should watch it as um, as Billy Bob research from when we do um, Monsters Ball, uh, possibly. Oh boy. Oh, boy. oh man, that movie. Yeah. We're, do- we're doing that in three weeks, so that's going to be Let me tell you, uh, <laughs> Sling Blade, uh, not having seen it in 20 years. Uh-huh definitely holds up uh with my utter certainty i would bet my whole bank account holds up better than monsters ball you've heard it here folks okay yeah. i i i watched monsters ball in high school and liked it and i'm just thinking back on it like ooh, oh ugh, no i no. i don't know anything about it like oh you don't well because i was like nine or ten when it came out the only thing i remember back then it was just like fucking Halle Berry and billy bob have a sex scene that's it i don't know Apparently Diddy's in it, so that's going to be fun. Yep. I don't know. Yep, he's in it. <laughs> Heath Ledger's in it. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. Peter Boyle as, you oh, know, God. the stock racist yeah. uh, father. Oh, God. Doesn't oh, Halle bro. Berry, like, storm out of the house, and she's like, I met your daddy, and then just drives away. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, Halle Berry, like, does the best with offensive material that I think she can do and like it, she clearly is a good actress um, but that movie oh. yeah. <laughs> I'm curious I'm a, I'm a big uh, alright I already forgot the director's name what's his name Mark, Mark Forster. Forster yeah I'm a big Mark, Mark Forster. Forster fan yeah um. Um. a man called Otto only in theaters this <laughs> he's also doing I, I saw I was looking through his filmography he's doing that wonder sequel where it's like saying you know, you're a bully now. I should tell you about the time that I grew up in Nazi Germany or whatever. <laughs> what? <laughs> you're turning out to be a bully. You know what you need to learn about the Holocaust. <laughs> oh, that's, that that's kind of like the movie. Uh, what is it? The Devil's Rhythmic with uh, Kirsten Dunst, where she's like a she's like a bratty teenage and she's going over to Thanksgiving and her grandparents are like Holocaust survivors. And she like somehow falls asleep and has a dream where she was actually in the Holocaust and wakes up and just like loves her grandparents now. It's... What? Yeah. Wow. I have yeah. never heard of it's this. It's actually, it's not that bad, but that part of it is, yeah, it's rough. I think it was a TV movie. I forget who did it. It was somebody well known. Uh, I'll look it up in a sec. Um, the ending scene where Clay Boone lurches around his ally, like uh, Ally, like Frankenstein's monster, was suggested to Bill Condit by Brendan Fraser. Well, he brings things to the table, I guess. Um, sound. Okay for sound. Action. The Bride of Frankenstein. A man with a legendary career behind him. Who's this new yard man? Mr. Boom, I thought something be. A man with his life still ahead of him. Hey, the master wants to know if you're free for lunch. I do have a lawn this afternoon. I'm free until then. Come in, Mr. Boom separated by class are you famous i was merely a director you have the most architectural skull have you ever sat for an artist 
They have nothing in common. Mr. Clayton Boone, my gardener. He's never met a princess, only queens. Except their humanity. I've spent much of my life outrunning the past. And now it floods all over me. Why are you here? Let's get this straight. What did you want from me? What do you want? To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> so, we understand each other. Open my bill. But yeah, that's all I have for the trivia. As our special guest, Chris File, what are your initial thoughts on Gods and Monsters? You had seen this previously. Did you rewatch it for the pod or anything? I I did. Um, it's I it's I really like this movie. I mean, I think in terms of again, like Bill Condon, I feel does in Kinsey does pretty standard biopic things with this movie, but I do think that there's a lot of like really kind of potent emotion in this movie and of course it's led by Ian McCollin giving one of his best performances um uh the I had seen this movie as a kid probably too young but like of course loved the like movie history of it um it was probably one of the first movies I ever saw that showed a penis (laughs) so like that blew my mind um I do really like Brendan Fraser in this movie. Uh, boo hiss to the movie that he has coming out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lynn Redgrave is an absolute cartoon in this movie. She got nominated for this. <laughs> I know, but I can't help but lo- like, I get it. She's get fun, it. Like, but that's so surprising to me. It's it's very, very silly, and she might have been second place considering she won the Globe for it. Um, also this Oscar ceremony if you watch when Bill Condon wins his uh, adapted screenplay Oscar the three of them are just like watching like three little children (laughs) they're in a huddle together they're all so happy they're just beaming so like that probably tells you you know something about the production of this movie and like they probably thought that they were underdogs. This is 1998, uh, even for an independent studio like Lionsgate at the time, you know, producing something that is queer oriented. Maybe they thought three people would get to see this movie. Um, but there's clearly like a lot of pride within the production uh, that they got to, you know, a- achieve that level of success. Um yeah, I like this movie quite a bit. Okay. Uh, Bryden, initial thoughts? Yeah, uh, I had not seen this. It was, um, I, I think I'd heard about it maybe when, like, I heard about it when, like, Breaking Dawn was coming out and people were talking about, like, oh, yeah, Condon, you know, he had, like, Gods and Monsters and stuff. And I was like, oh, what's that? And you then, don't know about that? Are you not Condon enough? And you're just like, <laughs> okay, I'm not cool enough for this. Okay. Um, and um, as I, I don't know if I could call this research but like I, I i've seen in the last couple of months uh, some some of james will's uh, old horror movies and those are those are quite good i, I really liked uh frank his frankenstein and uh, the invisible man was a lot of fun too um and i like and it is nice uh I, I mean it's funny the scene where they're all watching um bride of frankenstein and they're talking about like comedy and horror you can't have those two together like they're and i'm like just thinking like oh my gosh film conversations in the 50s if this is what it was like that must have been terrible <laughs> i, I, um, I kind of feel the same now because 
horror comedies are very hard to pull off. <laughs> right, but, like, I mean, Invisible Man, like, it is funny, because, like, he is, like, just starting out pulling off pranks and everything, and then, like, it very quickly escalates, and I'm like, hmm, maybe I should kill this entire, uh, carved, tra- carved people on a train or whatever, but, um, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so, and it's, it's fun when he, when Condon tries to, like, you know, do, like, the sort of, like, old, like, black and white horror movie style and everything, with, like, all the Dutch angles and, like, the sparks uh, shooting out from, like, the electrocution that, like, gives Frankenstein's monster when he tries to recre- recreate that it's 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 cute and like he's like you know trying uh, some some fun stuff uh camera wise which I don't always associate with Condon I feel like he's pretty traditional with his uh, his camera movements and editing uh and even in some of the treasure movies that we've mentioned like Sister Sister and The Good Liar but um uh yeah I thought this was okay um McCowan and Fraser are the reason to see it if you're gonna see it at all I mean McCowan is like I, I sometimes like about under appreciate him i think as an actor maybe because i think i just as i i feel like most of the stuff i've seen him in is like blockbuster stuff like the 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 hobbit movies or you know um uh the x-men movies goodness i was I, I still can't get over the fact that you've seen the hobbits but not the lord of the i rings know i was thinking i was thinking <laughs> yeah, i've seen the i may ask to see the hobbits but not the lord of the rings movies because he's so good in lord of the rings he is, he is. <laughs> um it's also funny too like he looks basically the same for like the last like 40 years like it's funny and I, I i always like this is funny like in the keep you know he's like playing like someone's elderly father and then like he gets somehow in the incoherent plot of that movie he gets de-aged to say like oh he's like a younger man i'm like if you if you insist like like if he doesn't look at, <laughs> he looks basically the same to me but um yeah yeah um he's really good in this and like you know he really like you like he he's able to like put you at ease with like sort of like his soft like gentle like grandfatherly voice and everything but then there are times where like he'll like when he will get, like, put off by some, some of Fraser's remarks and everything, he'll, like, de- drop the pitch in his voice, and, like, he'll be, like, you'll be, like, oh, no. And then there's that whole scene where he's, like, facing off against Fraser and he's, like, tilting his head and, like, just, like, bugging his eyes out and, like, whoa, this is, like, really intense. And, like, I, I, I admire that. Um, Fraser, I think, is good in this. I like sort of the, um, the sort of tittering naivete that he has uh, to some of his scenes. Like, when he asks, like, Ian McKellen initially, like, are you you know like forgive me are you famous and everything like he's he, like he does almost seem like boyish in that moment and then you know there are times where i feel like he he does get these like frightening flashes of aggression like when he has that scene with Lolita to davidovich and then he like shoves the car door like shut for her and everything and then he immediately is like oh man i'm sorry this is all coming out wrong like he's he is able to like get those emotional fluctuations quite well i think he maybe falters a little bit near the end i think like some of the, the he doesn't quite for me, at least, I don't know if he quite gets the tone right. Like, there's the scene where he's talking to McKellen, and um, they're talking about, like, uh, McKellen's time in war or whatever, and, um, uh, and like, McKellen says, like, oh, a lot of us didn't survive, and then, like, Frazier, he's, like, bathed in, like, shat- half in shadows and half in light, and he's like, you survived. I'm, like, saying, like, why? I'm thinking, like, why are you saying it like it's an accusation or something? Like, it's, like, it's very, it, I think it's meant to be, like, a tender <laughs> moment of comfort to, like, make, but, like, I don't know. Um, I do... So, I mean, it, it, you're right, Chris, that this does hit a lot of traditional biopic beats, especially in the sense that, like, there are a lot of biopics about, like, yeah, we're going to look at this very iconic, famous figure, but also, you know who's really interesting? This person who was kind of on the fringes watching it all. Like, my week, <laughs> my, my week with Marilyn is, like, a really terrible example of that, where it's like, Marilyn Monroe's fascinating. You know who is also interesting? This production designer who knew her for a week, and it's like... <laughs> <laughs> this idiot that had a crush on her. Yeah. 
Isn't that idiot played by Eddie Redmayne too? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then there's another idiot who has a crush on him played by Emma Watson. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my god. It's it's a bad movie. Yeah. It, um know. The so, blonde came and solved everything. <laughs> like, not gonna touch that. Oh, Haven't God. seen it, but Ugh. yeah. Um, I, I I felt the need to watch that movie, and then by the time I was like, I have to have my own take, and then by the time I watched it, no one cared. <laughs> it was just the conversation was over by then. Guys, I watched Blonde, and no, no, no. I spent three hours on this. Please, we have to talk about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, sorry for cutting you off. No, no, no. It, it's fine. Uh, but so it does hit those. So I guess like no. I was maybe, you know, a little ill-informed, not entirely aware that, like, this was, like, part fiction and everything, and finding out that Frazier's character is, is made up and everything, which, like, that's fine. There have been good movies that have, like, you know, dealt with, like, you know, fudging the facts or, like, you know, making up characters wholesale. I guess it really is a matter of how engaging it is or how it feeds into the whole project, but, like, I don't know. It, when you have, I'm kind of not entirely on board with how this movie, I, I mean, yes, you're right that it is, cool to think about at the time that like this was like presenting queerness in like a relatively forthright manner and everything where you know wait but, but like um there is also like a way that like so many of the the sexual encounters in this movie are like steeped in like a sense of like shame or like it's some kind of like it's i, I don't think I'm, I'm not trying to put but, like they like they're calling him like a dirty old man and then having like you know the james will in this movie assault brendan fraser near the end as like some sort of desperate thing it makes me i don't know it, it, it does make me wonder especially i'm trying to find my thought here with with <laughs> fraser not being real it's like why is it in the movie to have like like i feel it feels i don't know much about whale's personal life if maybe there was like stuff that happened in his life that like or stuff that he did maybe it's totally possible lots of directors have done that kind of stuff but like it is the it does make me think like how it, it feels almost like if, if this didn't actually happen, it's like, is that like kind of a fuck you to James Will when there really like doesn't need to be? And like, I don't know. And, and then I don't know, having it all end on Frasier where like he's lurching off into the alley, like Frankenstein, I just feel like it's, and having him be like, you know, a, a prejudiced character who like says like, yeah, like, you know, but like this is this, like that my, my attachment to this guy was important when it's like, I don't know, you were like pretty cruel to him. And also like, I don't know what you got from this experience. And then also like, I just, I was joking in the, the, our group chat about like, you know, it's that scene is just goofy to me because I imagine like as he's walking off, like his his wife just like saying like, "Honey, where are you going?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. So it makes me wonder like exactly how valuable the, this movie's represent presentation of uh, of queerness is, and also like whether it should be to devote this much time to Fraser's perspective. But I think there's definitely some good stuff in this, uh, and we'll talk more about it as we go on. But I I I want to give the floor to. Uh, some others in this chat um just for the sake of keeping it going and i don't have uh any deep thoughts as you to do um uh, it's it's f whatever to find to me also the the very basic biopic structure that it has and whatnot and it does i do like it whenever it kind of gets out of it and gets into james wells imagination and whatnot like it starts out really really intuitive with all of that and then by the end of it it's kind of forgotful but i did like the end where it's constantly going back and forth to younger him and older him but it kind of drops out but uh yeah i mean ian, ian mckellen's great in it brendan fraser is like just 
there to be hot, which that's fine. Um, I don't see a problem there. <laughs> <laughs> Where he's just like, Duh, I, I, I mow the lawn, and then that's about it. Um, but yeah, it's it's fine. Um, I don't like it as much as Shadow of the Vampire, which I did listen to that commentary, and we'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, but Charlie, go ahead. Yeah, I hadn't seen this um, until recently. I had heard about it, mainly because of McKellen and Frazier. Um, As I mentioned, it's the only Bill Condon film I have seen, and I think I like this movie primarily because of the performances, not so much the direction. Um, I do think it is... I agree with you, Bryden. I had the same... I wrestled with the same things about the ending, especially if he, you know, isn't a real character, and I also... Uh, don't have as much uh, encyclopedic knowledge on Whale's personal life. Um, but I did find it to be interesting that both of their forms of masculinity, even, it, you know, if Brendan Fraser is, you know, questioning or heteroflexible, whatever, I do think it's interesting that many scenes in this movie alternate between one of them asking them about their personal life and then the other's like, what the fuck? Like, like why did you, why did you <laughs> dig up this trauma? And then just like on, from both ends, I kind of like that it's not just Brendan Fraser, even though he does have outbursts. Like he gets Ian McKellen in that spot too, where he's just like, dude, I'm just asking you something. <laughs> like, or <laughs> half the time too, Brendan Fraser's like, dude, you started this conversation. So like, I do find that to be interesting. I mean... Um, I did think some of the lines were funny and kind of sad when, like, they attend that party and, like, he's introducing Brendan Fraser to the princess and he's just like, oh, this guy's only, um, he's never met a princess before, only queens! And then they're just like, huh? And she's like, uh, uh, never mind, let's go. <laughs> like, you know, like, I found that stuff to be enjoyable. Uh, Chris, in your, uh, letterbox review, you mentioned, wow, they actually found someone that looked like Elizabeth Taylor, <laughs> and I thought that was funny. Oh my god! Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Especially, like, that era Elizabeth Taylor. It was, yeah. Yeah. It's very on the nose. It, there's not a lot of subtlety here, but I do think that as a time capsule, too, I just miss Brendan Fraser so much. I understand your criticisms, Bryden, but um, I thought, you know, especially in 98 when he's an up-and-coming star, I'm like, this is, you know, questionable aspects of the depictions of queerness aside. This is a brave performance on his part. Had Ian McKellen come out? by the time this movie was released. I mean, he took a boyfriend to the Oscars, yeah. so... Maybe yeah. not, but... Yeah, I, I also, I will say, I did think that this movie was going to be one thing where, like, it was going to be Ian McKellen being like, I'm so old and sad, and not really, like, as horny as he is. He came out in 1988. Alright, so, so 10 years since... Yeah. Yeah, okay, wow. wow, that's wild. Yeah, I, I did think it was interesting. I liked that he's not just... He's clearly, obviously, repressed, but he's not repressed because of, like, he's... like he, And he's full of shame, but I do kind of like that his queerness just kind of comes out naturally as opposed to just, like, I don't know. Uh, even if it's in some problematic ways, as we've mentioned about the ending, I do like that um, Ian McKellen's sexuality is, like, at the forefront like even at the beginning when he does that very weird striptease uh, routine with the interviewer, which yeah. at first when that started, I was like, Oh God, it's going to be one of these where I was just like, is this going to like this framing device? Okay. And I'm glad that that got dropped pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I, I, I found it fascinating kind of as a nineties time capsule and in terms of how looking back on what 
male as as a portrait into what, how male queerness was depicted back then in comparison to where it is now, more so than a dramatically compelling story because. I agree, like, the conventional stuff, I agree, Brad, and I think the last shot is kind of awful. Like, I, it looks I just good, don't think but it... but the, the place in it is, the place in the movie is It's stupid. very strange, yeah. and yeah, I got, you get to the end and you are like, well, Brendan Fraser learned stuff about, like, masculinity, I guess, but yeah, like, it's not like they had, like, a healthy relationship in oh. any way. <laughs> so to tell his son, like, yeah, we knew about, like, he, I knew him, and it's like, yeah, and you two were kind of horrible to each other it is kind of <laughs> interesting in that um respect i also i know this is gonna sound terrible because we're recording this in the year 2022 but i couldn't help but think about how um in terms of uh queer men and ptsd are depicted uh if any of you haven't seen benediction which is one of the best films of oh, the year incredible. i think that something like that with direct like the way terrence davies directs that type of story uh, you know a somewhat it's a different story but it also deals with you know a veteran um who is coping with his um with sexual repression and ptsd i felt like i couldn't help but compare it to how that the directorial choices in that are so beautiful and flourishing where here they're just kind of standard which i didn't really i didn't go into this movie expecting that but i couldn't help but think about how much um that movie like just tore my heart apart and this was just kind of like there uh, i don't know if that makes mm -hmm. any sense but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh quick funny thing about ian mckellen uh 2003 during an appearance on have i got the news for you mckellen claimed when he visited michael howard then environment secretary responsible for local government in 1988 to lobby against the section 28 which is about the uk didn't want authorities to promote homosexuality howard refused to sign uh, change his position but did ask him to leave an autograph for his children mckellen agreed but wrote fuck off i'm gay <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't doesn't wasn't there a story that he also rips out all the homophobic passages of the Bible when he goes to hotel rooms? Or am I making that? Oh, I thought that that was like a story. <laughs> I don't know. Let's run with it. <laughs> I'd like to believe it's real. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Um, let's get into the plot. In 1950, James Well, the director of Frankenstein and Brian Frankenstein, has retired. He lives with his longtime housemate, Hannah, who loyally cares for him, but disapproves of his homosexuality. Thank you, Wikipedia. He has suffered a series of strokes that has left him fragile and tormented by memories. Growing up as a poor outcast is tragic World War One. Uh, service and the filming of Bride of Frankenstein. Will slips into his past and indulges in his fantasies, reminiscent about gay pool parties and sexually teasing an embarrassed starstruck fan. He battles depression and at the time contemplates suicide and he realizes his life, his attractiveness, his attractiveness and his health are slipping away. Will befriends his young, handsome gardener, Clay Boone, and the two begin a somewhat uneasy friendship as Boone poses for Will's sketches. The two men bond while discussing their lives and dealing with Will's Bells of disorientation and weakness from the strokes. Boone, impressed with Whale's fame, watches Bride of Frankenstein on television as his friends mock the movie, his friendship with Whale, and Whale's intentions. His friends suck. <laughs> yeah, one of, one of the bartenders is Kevin J. O'Connor, who was in The Mummy with uh, Frazier like the next mm -hmm. year, which is yeah. funny to think about. Um, Benny. Yeah. Benny. What an insufferable. He's so good in that yeah. movie, but he's such a little weasel in oh, it. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> oh, the Mummy's so good. Yeah. Yeah. You guys seen the Mummy? Yeah, um, I've I I that was an early 
Uh, I remember watching that movie when it came out, so it must have been about seven or eight. And the scene where the bugs crawl into the dude's arms, I remember Ooh. just leaving the living room, and I went. My mom was my mom was in her room, and I was like, I can't watch it anymore. That's just that's 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 ridiculous. Yeah, I was scared out of my damn mind. No, I was in the same boat where I saw that movie when I was like ten. I saw it when The Mummy Returns came out because a lot of my friends were starting to see that, and it is funny how like that movie as a kid was so horrifying but you watch it now and it's like such a screwball comedy it's, it's a cartoon like yeah. like, mm-hmm. like it's got see like after they resurrect the mummy it's, it's just got <laughs> yeah exactly brendan fraser's just like packing a suitcase like you just had to read from the book of the dead and rachel vice is like well you can leave i'm staying and it's like it's like his girl friday or bringing a baby like levels of like just physical comedy and the way it's staged and everything and it was just like god we don't get stuff like that anymore it's it it really did make me nostalgic for all those movies well i don't know you're talking about charlie there was just five years ago there was the mummy that came out right yeah come on <laughs> i saw the trailer tom cruise was just like screaming it was funny um <laughs> sophia butella cinema <laughs> <laughs> uh that was the first movie where i was like is my allegiance to tom cruise waning because boy howdy i would watch him play the jaw the shark and jaws but that was too much um Boone assures Whale that he's straight and receives Whale's assurance that there is no sexual interest, but Boone storms out while Whale graphically describes his sexual history. Boone later returns with an agreement that no such quote-unquote locker talk discussions occur again. Locker room talk, my gosh. (laughs) Was that a phrase back then? Really? (laughs) I guess so. It's just like cursed now, like just hearing it. Like, it's Can we talk about this actually though? Because it cuts from him being like, "I'm not a fairy, all right," and then he goes and like has sex with that woman that he was arguing with before after the movie, where she's just like, "You don't have your shit together," and then he basically it's not just... Davidovich. I don't think he has sex with. It's like she's gone out on a date with someone else, and then it like racks focus to like some blonde girl in the background, and then it cuts to them having like very, you know, uh, you know just sort of functional sex i guess I don't yeah so is but he's like he's going hard man like yeah. he's just like <laughs> he has to prove it to himself is that, yeah. is that is that what the movie's supposed to take it away is like brendan fraser's questioning nope he's like oh, i just had the best sex of my life i'm not gay i can go back now like is that what the movie's i don't saying? i don't know because then i also think about like at the end where he's like domesticized and has a family and is that like him covering up but it never really speaks on that so i really don't know but it has an attitude where the wife only has like a you never take out the trash type of like vibe where i'm (laughs) just like god damn it i should have been gay yeah Yeah. Yeah. Uh, boone is invited to escort whale to a party hosted by george kokar for princess margaret there a photo op has been arranged for whale with his quote-unquote monsters boris karloff and elsa lanchester from ancient movie fame this event exasperates whale's depression a sudden rainstorm becomes an excuse to leave um that scene even though that woman does look like elizabeth taylor that that has a big biopic energy where it's just like look it's elizabeth taylor and like audience <laughs> clap yeah it's just like, oh that i, I know yeah okay um, elvis elvis presley he's here yeah <laughs> what is oh god what is the movie where you said where it starts and they're like talking about nirvana or something what was that oh, movie charlie oh shit what was that movie <laughs> anyways uh well, back well in- there is i mean I, I i often go back to kill your darlings where daniel radcliffe raises his hand in class and he just goes what's your name sir alan ginsburg and the teacher <laughs> goes alan 
Allen Ginsberg, as if like <laughs> <laughs> that's never going to be a famous name. Just, just like in life, you know. Yeah. <laughs> hmm, no people. Yeah. Why don't we give you the name Solo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forget what it was, but you said the movie started where it's like, man, I can't believe Kurt Cobain killed himself, and you're like, oh, it's oh the no, 90s, no, of course. No. You know what? It's 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 um, it's not it's not Nirvana. It's 88 minutes with Al Pacino, where they oh, yeah. said it. Because they set the movie up, and there's a flashback to 1996 or whatever, and one of the characters just goes, I can't believe Princess Diana died. Like, <laughs> And you think it's going to have some sort of important, like, signi- some sense of significance later on. Wait, this is on. 1996, and, and just, then after you hear that, you're like, oh, my bad, my bad. No, it's just, it's just supposed to show how 1996 or whenever Princess Di died was. Uh-huh. It has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh Anyways, uh, where was I? Back at Whale's home, Clayton needs a dry change of clothes. Whale can only find a sweater, so Clayton wears a towel wrapped around his waist. Whale decides to try to sketch Clayton one more time. After some minutes, he shows his sketches to Clayton, disclosing that he has lost his ability to draw. After Clayton drops his towel to pose nude, Whale makes him wear a World War I gas mask and then uses the opportunity to make a sexual advance on Clayton, kissing his neck and shoulders and forcefully reaching for him. And in a rage, Clayton fights off Whale, who confesses that this had been his plan and begs Clayton to kill him to relieve him of his suffering. Clayton refuses, puts boils to bed, and then sleeps downstairs. Also, um, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, one, yeah. one other thing that's going on through this scene, and like, you know, the movie will occasionally, like, you know, try these stylistic flourishes to show, like, you know, Whale's, like, you know, fractured sort of state of mind as he's having a stroke, where, like, I mean, Carter Burwell does the music, and I normally like his music, but I felt like I found it was, like, really obtrusive, where it'll be, like, he'll, like, be trailing off mid sentence and like, well, like hard cut to like a close up and like the verbal music will just start swelling and like the camera's like oh, you know <laughs> sort of like tilting like you know like whoa it's super woozy and it's like it feels like it's maybe trying a little too much uh, to to convey this state of mind when Michaela's performance I think is uh, perfectly good enough to convey that. But I, I also had to wonder where Lynn Redgrave was during all of this. She's like, missing her daughter. <laughs> that's what it is, I think. Oh um, uh, yeah 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 yeah. Um, she's just like sipping whiskey in her bedroom like rolling her eyes like oh this shit again like (laughs) (laughs) curlers curlers yeah yeah Carter Burwell you mean the man who gave us the score of Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2 the legend himself hey he's got a good score this year for uh, Banshees of Inishirin I really like oh yeah absolutely and Carol And let's not forget Carol. Haven't seen it. Uh, Play Witch 2, but yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> the next morning, Hannah is alarmed when she can't find Whale, prompting a search by Clayton and Hannah. Clayton finds Whale floating dead in the pool. As a distraught, Hannah runs out, clenching it as suicide note. Clayton and Hannah agree that he should disappear from the scene and avoid a scandal. The fact that they just throw his ass back in the pool is pretty funny. I know. <laughs> Doesn't she say something, too? She's like, we mean you no disrespect, and then just, like, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and he's, like, face up, too, and everything, which is, like, I imagine that would look very weird. The police is like, wait, he drowned just from, like, floating? All right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it becomes clear, it also becomes clear that she's very much in love with him from this point on. Not like we couldn't get that from before, but I think that's supposed to add to the dramatic weight of her character, and probably why she got an Oscar nomination is probably for that last scene, I would assume probably yeah uh lastly a decade later clayton and his son michael watch bride of frankenstein on television michael is skeptical of his father's claim that he knew will but clayton produces a sketch of the frankenstein monster drawn by will and signed to clayton friend question mark clay clayton later walks down a street at night in the rain mimicking the movements of frankenstein's monster i don't think his son would be that impressed and be like i knew the director he'd be like 
okay. I, I'm going to eat some chicken nuggets, Dad. I don't fucking care. Yeah, but the movie plays it <laughs> like this super reverential moment. Where what? Like, wow. You knew him? Yeah. Um, I also have this book. I wanted to bring this up. I, I've only read the parts that um, for research that were about James Whale, but I have this book called Monsters in the Closet, Homosexuality in the Horror Film. Hmm. And I thought it would have a lot on Frankenstein in here, which is what the movie hyper-focuses on. But the author of this book um is very much drawn to the old dark house being his queerest film which i, I just not watched seen. that i just watched that um i mean i was kind of half watching it it was the house was old but not as dark as i wanted that's what i'll say um <laughs> i was just curious if anyone's seen it because they like that's what their whole passage is on where hmm. they basically are like well we all know frankenstein and bride of frankenstein of course i don't need to write about that like but this one is the one that really gets into i was the- gonna say bride of frankenstein's pretty fucking gay. yeah yeah <laughs> um, i mean it's essentially about a gay man being set up with a lesbian like uh, and people not realizing why they're not you know yeah and then they're like, hey, maybe this will work to get these people up from that. <laughs> and I guess The Invisible Man, I don't know. Like, I didn't really think about it while watching the, mo- the, the movie. But, like, I guess, like, you know, wanting to move through, like, mainstream society, like, without being noticed or something. Or being, like, you know, be, like, sort of, like, having your own private life, like, while, like, living amidst the public and everything. I guess, I guess you could view it like that. Um, but that movie also, what's great about that movie is it works just as, like, pure entertainment. Um, yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, I, I, I definitely would like to see more more whale movies he definitely had yes. like a, a very Same. good eye for all that stuff and like really good use of sound design too like the sound of like howling wind and really good sense of i mean yeah like the sense of humor in his movies like i love like the dumb british cops who are like just fumbling about as they're trying to stop the invisible man like it's so funny <laughs> um, mm-hmm. um the only thing i i don't know because it's just the old dark house is it's huge inspiration on Rocky Horror where they're coming to oh. this weird house that has weird characters and somebody's locked up that's like a that they think is dangerous and whatnot, but I don't know. I'd have to rewatch it in that mind state because I was just thinking of it as an over the top nineteen thirty two horror movie where everybody says how do you do fifty times a day. <laughs> um but yeah, it wasn't terrible. But I do need to watch Invisible Man. Uh, I was gonna Same. watch Invisible Man last night, but I said nope, I gotta watch They Sash Them and that's me. Okay. Uh, I, um, <laughs> I did something similar where I watched <laughs> Oh uh, yeah. Speaking of people getting uh starting to they're starting to campaign for Oscars and horror movies. I guess Mia Goth is actually uh, starting to get some recognition. She's <laughs> running, yes. But she's not going to get nominated, and that's sad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That movie's a hoot. I didn't like it as much as X, but uh, yeah. Um, she's great. Uh, yeah, I guess going back to Gods and Monsters, though, did the ending feel a little... Like, I guess I just want to know the motive like i get i sort of get brendan fraser's motivation of like here i'm gonna help inspire you the whole gas mask assault that was so weird is very Mm -hmm. sudden and and, and in a way that i was like this is really coming out of nowhere and i was wondering like you know i i mean i haven't i don't know about if whale was very handsy uh in that type of way back then uh but uh like it does like take a turn in a way that i wasn't expecting i also couldn't help but think about how a single man did that scene but the exact opposite of it with the nicholas holt character where he's just like uh no go to bed (laughs) like where and then it becomes extra tragic because again uh spoiler alert for that 10 year old movie but colin firth dies right after that so i uh um 
I was wondering, like, for a movie about this man's repressed sexuality and trying to get into the psychology of him, I just, even I felt like that was a bit much in terms of, like, where is this coming from? Like, mm-hmm. like yeah. because he's already earned, you know, they've already been going back and forth already, and now Brendan Fraser is the most vo- physically vulnerable he's ever been, and Ian McKellen's just automatically going to be like, put this gas mask on, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, I get that it's also tied to the PTSD, of course, obviously, but it is almost inexplicably just sudden for me. Yeah, and interesting you bring up a single man because i know that movie's gotten some flack uh from some critics about um it's like sort of queer self-loathing uh that's like that it deals with in the movie um but yeah i mean it's weird it just like it kind of runs throughout the whole this whole movie though where like it's you know making that inner that interviewer really uncomfortable and everything where like he looks like just kind of like frightened to be like forced to undress by mckellen and everything and then like people saying to him like you know you're really embarrassing yourself, you know, running around with these young mm-hmm. people. And it's like, he's, I mean, look, it's like, not like he's, um, I mean, like, I, I don't know, like if he was like preying on people who are like in ways that were like a- actually like illegal and are him, like, you know, whether they're too young or like too, or like it was like against their will, like it is like with the, the Frasier character as the show in the movie, that would be a problem. But if he's just having casual sex, who fucking cares? Like the movie, like seems to like adopt like this sort of like, Puritanical is maybe too strong a word, and he was saying, like, get a hold of yourself with all this casual sex. And it's like, just like, okay, like, <laughs> yeah. fucking calm down. Um, and, and on top of that, earlier in the movie, Ian McKellen's like, Brendan Fraser's like, you don't think of me that way, do you? And Ian McKellen's like, no, I know that you could break my neck if you, you know, wanted to. And then obviously that's meant to be his ultimate endgame, is I want you to kill me. He hates himself so much, but like, did he have to go to that length? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, it, it's, it's, right. It's, it's strange. Like, I don't think the movie's saying it's okay, obviously. Uh, but it yeah. is weird. to. It, I, I felt like there was, like, there's McKellen's performance, and then there's the way it's written. There's, like, a disconnect to me in terms of the gradual buildup to that conflict, where I just felt like it was too uh, contrived, I guess. But for reasons I don't fully mm-hmm. understand. <laughs> well, it feels like a bit of, well, it feels, like guess, a bit like a, a narrative betrayal because he hasn't really seen, well, I mean, I guess, like, the, the strip poker scene, I guess, or the strip poker approach that he takes in the interview scene, I guess, is, like, an so indicator of where, where how it could manifest. But, like, I mean, I mean, it's the thing of, like, I don't know much about Will's personal life, but if this is, like, you know, obviously a historical, historical fiction or movies that, like, are about real people, but, like, you know, fudge the facts as i as i say like it's you know if he's like that if he was like that at all like predatory to to use the word like you know then okay i guess it makes sense that it's in the movie but like if it's not it's like that's like a pretty like that almost feels like a betrayal of like the real life it's quite a claim yeah um to my understanding you know bill condon has you know this source material a book that he had the adaptation on but also you know spoke in a lot of gay Hollywood circles to people who knew James mm-hmm. Whale. So, but like that also brings up a certain type of morality for a lack of a better word, because it's like, are you essentially making a movie that's gossip, you mm. know? Yeah. Of certain, you know, parts of uh, someone's life that may or may not be documentable. Right. Um, 
I at least appreciate that, you know, while this is certainly dated in some of, some of like, what you were just describing, Charlie, in terms of, like, this is a very 90s version of this movie, there is also a certain level that, like, well, 90s versions of this movie didn't really represent Hollywood as it was in terms of, like, this guy is a bit lecherous, you mm-hmm. know, and I don't think it necessarily forgives him for like some of that behavior in a way that I think probably other movies like it in the nineties would. Have. Yes. Um, especially if they weren't. Dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that's a great point, Chris. I, I guess my thing is also if, cause he did commit suicide. That was all real. Uh, the fact that this is the last thing he does before committing suicide, I guess if that didn't happen is a little weird to me. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I'm being no. It's, too that's just it's the, narratively neat. Yeah, and yeah. those are the problems yeah. you get into when, even if it's extremely accurate type of biopic, it's never going to be completely accurate. So when you take a book that is fiction, somewhat fictional account of his life and whatnot, and put it into screens, it's just like and somebody like me and Bryden and probably the rest of you are not up on James Wells. It's just like, well, I saw the movie about him and your, your mind automatically thinks that that's who the person is. So that's the yeah. thing you get into, which has brought us to prison day with blonde. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, also I couldn't help but think of, we do talk. I, I, I should also, cause this just popped in my head, mention that I guess we're not all fo- fully past this because Bohemian Rhapsody only came out a few years ago. And that has Holy a whole shit. sequence where that's set to, um, another one bites the dust, him going into a gay club. And then the next scene, him being like, guys, I have AIDS. So. <laughs> and also oh like, God. that's another thing where it's like, this guy's gay and he also, or, or queer rather not to like, you know, put him into a box and everything but like he he like is talking to one of his witnesses and like grabs him by like the genitals and everything and then that's like the start of their courtship and it's just like why would you paint it like that like it doesn't it's, yeah. it's so weird yeah um well to wrap this up i'm going to um uh, suggest we play a certain type of game now chris on your podcast you do the imdb game but in our group chat and on our cinephile yeah. we do the letterbox game which is the exact same thing just letterbox <laughs> um <laughs> where we just guess the top four on letterbox which is completely different from imdb so i'm curious if you would like to partake in a letterbox game of lynn redgrave oh wow that's gonna be hard but yeah absolutely okay uh we got top four lynn redgrave on letterbox I'd be willing to bet this is there. No, it is not. It is number six. Wow, okay. I'm going to not oh, do wow. it. <laughs> um, is Georgie Girl on there? That is number okay. 13. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to have to It's so different from IMDb because it's like, you're not known for any of this. <laughs> it's going to be like a Transformers movie or something. Um, I would never have been able to guess number one. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. <laughs> <laughs> you did? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, Have I conceivably seen these four movies? Um, um, I think you've seen two to three of them. Okay. Maybe. And we'll give you what we do when we play it is we give you the years of the movies. Just after like three yeah. wrong guesses. Yeah. So oh, we'll do that after. Oh, so three wrong guesses. Okay. Um, what's another Day Emblem Red Grape movie? Um, because I think this and Georgie Girl are her nominations, uh-huh. um, her Oscar nominations. Is it possible there's like TV on there? Mm-mm. No. Um, 
she is not one of the Redgraves that I am all that like familiar with her work uh-huh. to. Let's let's just go with the years. Let's do that because um, okay. her IMDb top four has none of these movies in her letterbox top four. <laughs> Oh wow! Because her top four on IMDb is Gods and Monsters, Georgie Girl, Shine, and Kinsey. And Kinsey, she like barely has a role in. Um, oh no, she has like this monologue at the end. Oh, where she's like, "You made me, me yes. save my life." That's right. That's uh, right. Uh, wow, even Shine. I forgot she was in Shine, uh, but that's not even on her letterbox top. Um, okay, um, the years two thousand nine. 2003, 2002, and 1972. Okay, so three movies from the 2000s that I am just not remembering. (laughs) Is it like Calendar Girls? No, you're thinking of Jane Austen Book Club, and that's number seven. (laughs) I've seen that one. I haven't even seen Calendar Girls yet. I'm just thinking of conceivable movies she could be in. Um, Okay, you said 2009 and 2003? 2003 and 2002, yes. Okay. O2, I'm trying to think of, like, what either British cinema or, like, Oscar cinema would have been... It's... Not that. It's... it's okay. <laughs> is it neither? It's, it's... It's... Number three is, I'd say, one of the more restrained films from a filmmaker I know you love, Chris, who also oh. had a movie come out this year. That... A filmmaker I... Oh, is it... Oh, is that Spider? Yes. yes. Number three. Okay, that's Spider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry if that was too big of a hint. <laughs> no, oh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I got those pieces together. Okay, so that's O two, O three. <laughs> Let me think of the similar thing of she is fourth build in this, which okay. is crazy because I don't remember her in it. I don't remember it at all. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> o three. This is a big uh, property normally known by disney but anybody can make these type of movies about this character yeah it also didn't oh so it's like it's in public domain yes yes oh wow what was oh three like a public domain movie like uh it was also if i recall correctly a christmas release that did not do very well financially (laughs) oh okay let me see so it's not like Stuart Little. I think Stuart Little was like 01 or 02. I was about to say more fantastical than that, but what's more fantastical than a mouse that talks? <laughs> and Charlie, you were right. This movie was released on Christmas Day in the U.S. Wow. Good memory. Uh, I don't know how I remember that because I, I don't remember much about this movie. A $100 million Christmas? budget made 48 domestic and 121 worldwide. Wow. And it got good reviews, if I recall correctly. Who the hell is Jeremy Sumter? Holy shit. Oh, from the Sasquatch? <laughs> oh, band? Jeremy Sumter is the Love Actually kid, right? No? No, that's, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Thomas Brody Sainster. Oh, yes, 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 yeah. yes. Um, who is no longer a tiny angel baby child. Oh, uh, he is a full-grown he, adult male. Uh, he um, and I also have the same birthday, which is weird. I just learned that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, Okay. 03. Love actually is 03. It is. Christmas 03 was Love Actually. (laughs) Um, 
Uh, let's see. There was another movie made about this character recently, but they didn't use his full name, just his last name. Can I also say this is, I don't know if this is going to be more confusing or not, but oddly enough, number one and number two are made by the same filmmaker. Oh, yeah, it is. And I, and I had no idea that he also directed a film that I like that I know you love, Chris. Is that about okay. a wedding? Wait, no, yes. I think he's done multiple movies about a wedding. Oh, is he this Ang Lee? No. No. Oh, I wish. <laughs> um, okay, here's here's he's done a, he's done a couple Okay, of so one and three are the same director. Is that O three O nine or is that O three one and two? The, one or one and two are the same director. O three and O uh, nine, same director, yes. Okay. He uh, had been known for wedding movies up until this point. Yes. <laughs> one other maybe esoteric hint, but I feel like we all kind of like the like trailers and anything. Uh this trailer for this movie was scored to uh, a Coldplay song. Clocks. Yes. I wasn't sure if that would be too specific. I, I saw the trailer for this thing so many times and then it made no money. <laughs> the trailer to the... 09 movie? The 03 yes. movie. No, 03 the, movie. The 03 movie. Yeah. Okay, so the 03 movie, which was in the public domain yes. and has had several things. Several. And it was a $100 million budget released on Christmas Day and I still can't get this. <laughs> It um, had Jason Isaacs in it. And hello to Pan, him. Pan! Peter Pan! Yes. Peter yes. Pan, which is directed go. by Stephen Summers? No. no, that's the no. mummy guy. That's uh, the mummy. <laughs> but no, it's... Deep, oh, God, Deep who Rising. did this Peter Pan movie? Whew, Deep Rising is so good. Deep which Rising I've never says. seen that Peter Pan, yeah. so of course I didn't know. So from that same director in 09, often get this confess or, uh, confused with Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. Not because Lindsay is in it. <laughs> no, is Lindsay in no, it. no. Another famous okay, redhead. This is a director that I like, Charlie. You gave one of his movies four and a half stars, and I believe you've put it in your favorites on Letterboxd before. And oh, it stars wow. an actress that we all love. Is this the 97 movie? This that is, is conceivably like Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. Yes. Um... <laughs> Because like, it stars a young woman. Redhead. Uh, yeah. and it, Is it, it Easy A? Is it Emma Stone? That's 2010. Um, okay. Th- this is um, the conceited movie. I think this is based on a book, but it's like the whole thing is like, this person has a problem that they need to solve. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> and it's the trailer was not set to Coldplay, I guess. I don't know. That would be weird if it was. Probably set to like Natasha Bedingfield. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you joke, but possibly. <laughs> I'm going to scrub the trailer. Hold on. It's going to drive me insane. What is the name of this director? P.J. Hogan. P.J. Hogan. Oh, Muriel's Wedding, P.J. Hogan. Yes. Love P.J. Hogan. Um, also, My Best Friend's Wedding. I'm not sure. Yep. 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 That one's good. I have not I really seen. Which also rules. Oh, it's, that oh, it's good. That movie. Oh, it's good. Um. Okay, P- what did PJ Hogan do? Oh, Confessions of a Shopaholic? There yes. you go. Uh, yeah, she yeah, just yeah. can't stop shopping. Yeah. She can't stop. She's not okay. a teenage drama queen. She's a shopaholic. I haven't seen that either. I haven't either. <laughs> okay, in the 1972 um, movie, this will be really easy. Very, very canceled director with a very long title. Woody Allen. Yes. Yes. Everything you wanted to know about sex, but we're too afraid to ask. Bing, bing, yep. bing. Chris did it. Our first, hey! our first on mic letterbox game. Yes, that was great. I love Yay. it. Yes, 
I remember whenever we had Dan Mecca on one of our cinephile games, I was just like, oh, we played the cinephile game. He was like, so you just so you just stole that from this is also. I was like, yes, yeah, we did. I changed it a little bit. Well, I won't get sued. OK, clearly. <laughs> oh, pff, we don't make any money. We can't sue anyone. Um, uh, definitely harder, I think, than the IMDb game. Granted, a game that I play constantly for my show. But like. Definitely, they use some different type of algorithm to, you know, yeah. Whatever the for Letterbox, it's just popularity, so it's not even known for. So yeah, hmm. are people really logging confessions of a shopaholic more than David Cronenberg's Spider? That's Spider has only been on DVD, and I think it's like hard are to people, stream. Are people watching everything you always wanted to know about sex? Like uh, that? I mean, even when we were watching Woody Allen movies, you'd like be that, surprised. Like, but I mean, her number five is Shine. I'm pretty sure people are going to watch a Woody Allen movie over Shine. <laughs> and then number six is Gods and Monsters and Jane Austen Book Club. So doesn't she don't have a real pop in filmography on Letterbox, which is which is a shame. She was also in the Wild Thornberries movie. Of course she was. <laughs> Y'all remember that? And then the year, next year, the Rugrats went wild, and we just let it happen. <laughs> okay, well, you, I think you're that was laughing. I the off. Rugrats are running wild, and you're laughing. <laughs> Okay, I think I mentioned this, um, but we were at work the other day, and me and my friend Sage, we always talk, we talk about like Rugrats episodes that we remember, but we're like, sure. this couldn't be real, right? There's an episode of Rugrats where Tommy is basically kidnapped by the women in Grey Gardens. Yeah, and yeah. They put a little, yeah. and they and they put him in like this little thing, and they nickname him Bostwick. Yes. So they're like Bostwick. <laughs> And then yeah. by the end of it, it's just like, oh, it's not child endangerment because this is Rugrats. Da, 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 da. Yeah, Grandpa Grandpa shows up and it was like, oh, just a misunderstanding. I'm like, they kidnapped your infant, dude. Like... <laughs> Remember the terrifying episode where Angelica was stalked by that big ass baby? No, that's what that's the one that my friend Sage is terrified by. That one's scary because um... his name is Big Baby and he has a T-shirt that says Big Baby. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Okay, this might be TMI. I don't care. Uh, there was one time I was on a dating app and someone was cl- was clearly a bot was like, will you be my sugar baby? And I just sent them that photo of the giant baby that says Big Boy from Rugrats on it. <laughs> okay. I got one of those bots recently on Instagram that I was what? like, this could conceivably not be a bot. Do I want $700? Maybe. <laughs> but this, this man, uh, the introductory sentence was, I'm sorry if this offends you. <laughs> kept going. I am looking for you to be my sugar baby. This requires nothing sexual of you. Only a few hours of your time a week and i was like dude i don't really have a few of the time i i mean i deleted it but my brain <laughs> i would like, rather it be sexual I would love because to have i don't have time <laughs> right well i think it was just if this was not a bot it was just a man who wanted to pay me several hundred dollars to just maybe listen to him so like i i don't know that could, that could be worse. <laughs> do we have to meet up or can you just text me all the shit because i'll do that that sounds, Do you yeah, want to guess like, Ian McKellen's like, top yeah. four most popular movies on IMDb? <laughs> and then he blocked me. What an ass. Yeah. <laughs> and then he put a gas mask on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Almost Major. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please follow the pod on Twitter at Almost Major to keep up to date with what movies we will be covering in the future. Myself, I can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd at Kev Bonesy. Bryden can be found on Twitter at Bryden Doyle and on Letterboxd at J Doyle. Charlie can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd at CTNash91. Once again, thank you for listening.